Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie-Weissman, the editor-in-chief of Modern Retail and the host of this podcast. This week, I'm really excited. We have Tamina Hayter, who heads up Harry's Labs, which is probably very crudely putting the M&A arm of Harry's. I'm sure that she will explain a lot more and give a much more nuanced explanation, but I'm really excited to talk a lot about all of the brands that Harry's is incubating and launching and how it chooses who it works with. But Tamina, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So first, for our listeners, and probably for me, because I'm sure my description was not great, how do you describe Harry's Labs? Well, the way I think about labs is that we are the diversification engine of Harry's Inc. So we specifically are responsible for identifying and incubating new brands within Harry's. And then also, as you mentioned, for our um, recently kicked off M&A efforts. So looking out in the world and identifying where there are exciting brands that we can bring into the Harry's family and help scale and grow as part of that family. Got it. How did it start? How long has it been going on? It's a great question, Kale. Um, So the idea for Harry's Labs started really back in 2017, early 2018, and it was really born out of a realization that Jeff and Andy, our co-founders at Harry's, had. You know, they had had the experience of scaling Harry's, first as a disruptive brand within the men's grooming space that was DTC native, and then taking that brand into retail and having really success in an, success in an omni-channel way is they also expanded the brand from its original categories into categories like body wash, hair, and most recently APDO. And I think a realization that the, a lot of the things they'd had to do, a lot of the infrastructure that they had had to build to make that scaling, that successful growth of the brand possible were things that were really difficult, but actually that a lot of other brands out in the world that were often started on DTC were also needing to do on their own. And then a realization that like, wait a second, we've got a ton of capabilities we've now built at Harry's, a lot of experience that we could bring to bear for other brands that are also looking to disrupt different categories within CPG. And thus, Harry's Labs was born. Um, you know, we've had... Uh, you know, some some changes along the way in terms of how we approach the market and what our focus areas have been. But that's really the genesis of the idea, this idea that we at Harry's can really help brands that are focused on the same things that we are, disrupting categories and serving consumers better, scale and successfully grow. Got it. So what was, you know, back in 2017 when it launched, what was the first sort of incubation project, if you will? Well, Kale, you're asking about things I wasn't there for, but I can certainly speak to them. (laughs) I'm happy to. Um, You know, the first brand that we incubated within Harry's, I mean, obviously it was Harry's, but um, after Harry's, we launched Flamingo, which is our women's um, grooming, hair removal, and body care brand. And that really was cut, came out of a place of it being the number one most requested product and brand for our, from our Harry's customers. A lot of women were using Harry's and sort of wanting something similar. But also what we realized is that at, at taking a step back, a brand that would serve women best and really serve some of their unmet needs within the market needed to be created for them. And that's why we created Flamingo. And then since Flamingo, we've launched a brand called Cat Person, and most recently we launched a brand called Headquarters, which I'm happy to chat about more. Yeah, I think I've actually had Cat Person on the podcast before, and so I know a little Ah. bit about it. 
Um, Very exciting. You began working with Harry's Labs in 2018, is that correct? I did. I joined Harry's Labs at the end of 2018 after uh, many months of conversation with with the team there, especially with Jeff Rader, um, and so officially came on board at the end of 2018. So what would you say your mandate then was? And you mentioned earlier that sort of the labs program has evolved and changed. So what specifically changed with you at the helm? Well, a a lot has changed. I I would love to to give myself full credit for it. (laughs) But in reality, um, the context within which within which Harry's has been operating has also evolved in that time. And so kind of labs has been along that journey. And I think right now in a really exciting moment in terms of where our focus is at. But I think, you know, just to take a step back, when I joined, um, I think it was like week two or three that I was at Harry's at Flamingo Launch. So there's certainly some infrastructure and some learnings in place in terms of how we were going to think about starting new brands within the context of Harry's. But my mandate was really to create a team to go do this and create a way of working, create goals, kind of start from scratch. Uh, When I joined, we had kind of one and a half people working on on labs, um, and we're really much more focused on incubation only. Um, And so my mandate has really been all about Think taking a step back, observing the world of Harry's and thinking about what are the things that we can bring to bear that are really differentiated in the market and also thinking about so we can serve consumers best. And then in particular, as we thought about M&A, which is where more of my background is in the investment world, thinking about our founders as customers. You know, at Harry's, we're all about creating things that people like more. That's what we think about with every product that we bring to the market. And, but we also think beyond just the products we bring to our end markets. We think about all the things that we create. And so in labs, the other thing I've been really focused on is how do we create a proposition, a place for founders and brand builders to come that's exciting, that they want to be part of. So you mentioned that your background is in M&A. So what were you doing before labs? Uh, yeah, walk me through that. Sure. Um, so I uh, spent a lot of years, oh gosh, <laughs> too many years <laughs> before labs. I worked in um, consumer investing. In particular, I worked in you know consumer growth equity. So for about five years before joining Harry's Labs, I worked at El Catterton. Uh, specifically, I worked in their North America-focused growth fund and uh, did a lot of investing specifically within beauty and personal care, but also across the consumer sector more broadly. And then I had, before that, spent a couple of years also in consumer investing at another firm. And kind of way back when, I'd actually been in a corporate environment doing strategy and M&A. Specifically, I worked at Estee Lauder. I would love to hear just sort of how your lens has shifted from being in a, a consumer investing standpoint when it's about diversification. And I'm sure at Harry's Labs, it is also about diversification, but there's also all ladders back to sort of the Harry's name, which is a very different point of view. So how how have you sort of shifted that? Has that changed the way you talk with brands when you're talking with founders about what you're looking for? You know, it's a, it's a great question. And look, I'd say one, I feel really privileged. I feel like I've learned a ton as a result of this move. And it's been also just a lot of fun, um, which has been two great things, probably the two things I value the most. Um, but, you know, I think I loved being a consumer investor. Um, and I think I still think of myself as a consumer investor. That at the end of the day is what we're doing at Labs. We're making capital allocation decisions, both into brands that we're starting and into brands that we want to acquire and bring into our family. So in a lot of ways, um, the things that I focus on haven't shifted uh, too much. You know, I am really still looking for opportunities to back brands and products that are bringing something truly unique to the market, who are really thinking about the end consumer and how to make their day-to-day lives 
better, which is, you know, our stated focus at Harry's, but in a lot of ways is so much of what you focus on when you're a brand oriented investor. And then two, you know, I'm still very focused on ensuring that we're bringing, um, we are backing businesses, whether again, it's starting them or um, acquiring them that have like fundamentally sound business models. So businesses that, you know, at the end of the day are set up to scale in large addressable markets. And at the end of the day can operate quite profitably. And there are the same early indicators of that in the Harry's context as they would be in a, you know, sort of standalone investment context. What are the contribution margins? What are the DTC economics? What are the customer economics? So in a lot of ways, I'm focused on things that are very similar. The things that have changed, though, in the context of Harry's is, um, I'll kind of mention three things. I think one is, you know, Harry's, we are focused on consumer packaged goods. So it's, it's nice. I have a real focus. And consumer packaged goods is a very large <laughs> uh, addressable market with a lot of different categories, but it is a bit more narrow than my prior focus. And so that's exciting. It means that we as a team get to spend a lot of time focused in the categories that we're interested in. Uh, beauty, personal care, health and wellness, home, pet. Um, so, you know, really getting intimately familiar with those categories and what's, you know, taking place, what the trends are, and really identifying who are the emerging exciting players and what are the propositions that, have, that are differentiated and match where consumer trends are going. So that's been one big change. I think the second is like we're buying to own in Harry's, right? We're, we're not buying to fund a period of growth, which is what you do as an investor, and then to think about an exit. And that is just very fundamentally different. I think in a lot of ways, it makes you one like much more long-term oriented. And as a result, much more focused on what is truly differentiated about the brand and the proposition. Where can that go? And who is leading that company and in what way? Is that, and so I'll, to maybe make that a little bit more specific, I think one, like I mentioned at Harry's, we're very focused on this idea of creating things people like more. And so at Harry's, unlike my past, we actually bring in a brand strategy and a consumer insights point of view much, much earlier in our diligence process. My team, when we are beginning to look at a team, any company, spends hours looking at all the customer reviews, because that is the place where you can find out what this brand is doing, why people are coming, why they're staying and why they might not be staying, and really understand what the like lasting power is, what it is that, that they're offering that's that's different. Um, and so that's been quite different because it, it's so important to our perception of like the lasting power of the brand. We want we want to you know bring brands into our family that are going to be around in 10, 20, 30 years and still be winning in their categories. Um, and the second thing I would say in that context has really been all about, uh, even, we, we, I've always been focused on the idea of partnering with folks that I think are fantastic and lead with values and are really focused as much on you know, building a great team and a great brand that does good in the world as they are building a great business. But I would say in the context of Harry's, that is even more important because it is so much a part of our ethos. And we want to make sure that the brands we're bringing into our family both internally in terms of how they operate and externally in terms of how they show up in the world, the social missions that they're dedicated to, that those things align with how we think about things at Harry's. All right. That, there was so much there that I want to dive into. Um, <laughs> so I, the, the, the idea of bringing in sort of the branding side and the diligence process, I'm really fascinated with. And I'm going to try and ask this without such a, an awful term, but there's an awful term that comes out where like, like when you're talking with a brand, 
how much of of it is about like the synergies and i really hate that word um with harry's or is it just that it's a good brand so like for instance cat person i think is a great example like i I would never think of a pet food company necessarily (laughs) as next to the harry's brand but like you know you're working with it and they're a very cool brand so when you're thinking about that is it is it just about the brand unto itself or how it complements sort of the harry's umbrella well, first of all, Kale, you you know you bring up the the prime example of the the things that like sort of confounds folks. Like, why, <laughs> why did you do cat? But why a cat brand after shaving? Does that make sense? And I, but I do think in a strange way, it's a great way to contextualize how we do think about where there are. I would call them less synergies, and how we think about it is like where are there opportunities for us to create value for businesses, and how do we think about that in the context of what's a good fit for Harry's. Um, and so one, I would say when we talk about a great brand, um, what we really mean is a proposition that was created that it to serve a fundamentally unmet consumer need in the market. Um, you know, you've talked with cat persons, so you know what that is. But there, you know, there was a really strong belief that in the market, um, products, whether it be food, accessories, toys are really created dog first, cat second. And there's not really a celebration of what it means to be a cat person in the world. Um, and that was a really unmet need for, for cat owners and, and cat parents. Um, and so in that way, that's kind of how we think about a great brand. And so what we're looking for when we do that brand diligence is that the brand is really addressing an unmet need in, out in the market. And you often hear that back from consumers. They're the best people to tell you, this is why I came to this brand. And you can sort of derive why I couldn't find that at other brands. Um, And so that's what we really focus on early on. Um, What is the brand trying to do in the world? What are the sort of pillars that sit below it? And are those positions against unmet needs within the market? And those can exist across, you know, any category. I think we do narrow our scope to consumer packaged goods, which I'll just come to why. But, um, But we think of that as like, what's a great brand? I think ultimately we're looking for brands, whether we build them or whether we buy them, where the things that we have become really good at at Harry's, where we think we have differential capabilities, are the things that are going to be drivers of the big next phase of growth for a brand. And so we think about those less as like categories and think about them more as things that are fundamental to the success of Harry's. So for example, we think about this concept of brand and design. How do you think about a brand concept? How do you build the brand and the design, not just the visual design, but the verbal design, the physical manifestations of the brand in a way that really reaches the consumer? So that happens for us online. It happens in stores, et cetera, et cetera. How do you grow the brand first on DTC, then on retail, or maybe it's the flip, but into a truly omni-channel brand and do that successfully? You know, tailor your messaging, your marketing, your product suite to the right to different channels that's what we think we can be really good at. And so that's where we're looking for brands where there's an opportunity to go and do that. And for that to be the big unlock of, you know, next phase of growth. So we think of synergies more in that way. The third area where we do think about synergies a lot, quite frankly, is I think we have really leaned in on um, developing a differentiated pipeline and way to cultivate talent within Harry's, kind of keep the entrepreneurial high growth mindset, even as we've scaled. And that's something we we aspire to do in partnership with all the brands we have internally. Of course, we have like, you know, not to minimize them, but we've got, you know, a stellar finance team. We've got amazing systems. We have all those things that we bring to bear, but we really focus on opportunities where these other commercial unlocks can be the real source of partnership and shared outsized growth. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. 
So what happens if you're talking with a brand that you really like, but there's a huge amount of overlap? Like what if there's a, a shaving brand that you're talking with? Are you are you going to work with them? Are you not? Is the idea that maybe one day they'll be folded into the Harry's brand? Sort of how does that all work? Yeah, no, great question, Kale. Um, look, it's not that black and white um, and it's tricky. You're asking a tricky question that actually I talk about with my team quite a bit, which is where is overlap okay and where is overlap not so much okay? And I think one thing that we embrace is that we are dry, trying, I mentioned, you, you asked me right at the beginning, you know, what is Harry's Labs? And I said, it's a diversification engine of Harry's. And I think I, I said that not lightly because I do think we think about adding new brands into our portfolio as a way to begin to address new categories within CPG and sort of broaden our collective as Harry's Inc. addressable market. And so we are, for the most part, focused on brands where that's a significant component of the outcome of partnership or, or building the new brand. So we do focus less on, you know, should we bring other shave brands into our portfolio? Because we think we have an amazing shave brand, um, you know, I should say a brand that includes the category shave and Harry's. Um, that said, it's not that black and white. So we do we look at body care brands? Harry's brand does body care. Flamingo brand does body care. Does that mean we won't look at body care brands? It doesn't, but it does mean that when we look at body care brands, we need to believe that that brand is positioned for a different consumer and serving a different need than our existing brands are. Going off of that, when you are looking for your next company or incubation, et cetera, is it, is it on a company by company basis or do you have sort of like, uh, a, a big board that says we need to get into this area of CPG and because we're seeing consumer insights from there. How, how do you navigate that? Oh, another great question. You're asking all the good questions. Um, but um, it's a little bit of both, to be honest. We're not so dogmatic about, you know, we've identified these categories, we got to get into them. And we're also not so opportunistic that we just wait to see kind of like what comes our way. And that's kind of a, a philosophy that I brought with me from my past in investing, which is you've always got to mix being proactive and thesis-driven with being opportunistic and reactive to the market and opportunities that are available. Because one, you want to manage um, having a perspective on where there are white spaces and going proactively to cultivate relationships with brands that might be addressing them. Because by the way, they might be too small for you today, or they might not be actionable today, but you want to be top of their list whenever that is that they're picking up their heads and thinking about, you know, how should they think about capital raising? Um, and I want to make sure that we're spending the right amount of time doing that. At the same time, you can only really action a transaction, particularly on the M&A side, when somebody's ready to sell their company or at least contemplating selling their company. And so we need to be reactive. And so we do do a mix. We have done a lot of work to identify a short list of sort of like subcategories that we have interest in. And we do monitor actively what brands are performing in that market. We're looking at data all the time, um, who's performing out in outsized ways in different channels. Um, but we are also being very reactive to, you know, things that are coming up in the market and making sure we're sort of like always looking at things um, just to gather information and, and quite frankly, to find opportunities we may pursue. So what are those sub-markets that, that are especially on your radar right now? Yeah, happy to chat about a couple of them. Um, you know, I think we think a little bit about um, the areas I, I mentioned. So I talked about beauty, um, health and wellness, pet care. Those are some of the areas that we spend a ton of time in. Um, I think without going into like the, the nitty gritty, I think what makes us excited, for example, in health and wellness, we are spending a lot of time in that category overall. Um, you know, and we think there's a lot of subcategories within health and wellness that are interesting. You know, sexual wellness, femme care, vitamins and supplements. These are areas that are experiencing outsized growth as a result 
um, of sort of this broader trend and engagement with health and wellness that's happening that we've seen has really been accelerated as a result of COVID. Um, and we believe is here to stay. Um, we think this focus on, in particular, sort of a more proactive approach to health and wellness is one that consumers are really embracing. So those are some of the, for example, subcategories that we focus on um, and are we spending time around and really trying to identify sort of similar to what we did with headquarters where we identified that there was this desire for women to proactively think about how to create their, create healthy hair as the outcome versus to reactively treat things that were issues with their hair. We're looking for brands in a lot of cases that have that same approach within the health and wellness space. Um, so that's one area that we're focused on. I mentioned, you know, you 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 mentioned you you know Cat Person, and uh, which is such a great brand and such an amazing team. But we're really excited about the pet space. We think there's a lot of exciting things happening in the pet space. We think that in particular, um, some of the categories outside of food are really exciting right now, and a lot of things that are getting established. Again, COVID had a big impact there, huge increase in pet adoption, and so you're going to see some lasting upticks in behavior there that we're really excited about. And so just sort of zooming out, I think it's really interesting and pretty cool that Harry's as a relatively young company decided to do this labs model because it seems like something that more more sustained or, you know, legacy companies do. And so do you think that this is going to be sort of a kind of model that more companies as they're trying to get into scale mode are going to do? How do you view it in terms of like, I feel like there are a lot of brands specifically like Harry's of a certain like, you know, not necessarily brand new, but relatively new that are trying to get to their very, very big status. And this is one way to go about it. And so do you think that more are going to try and follow this model or sort of what are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I don't know, obviously, I can't really comment on what other people are going to do. I can say why we thought it was a great idea, a good idea, and what we thought was different. And, and I think there's reason to believe that that is something that will be resonant for folks. And I, I mentioned it right at the beginning when we were talking, which is that as we thought about new brand uh, incubation, and in particular, M&A, we thought about the market. Um, and, you know, Jeff and Andy, they were founders, right? And they had experienced what it's like to raise capital and grow your business. And they sort of went kind of a, uh, you know, a, a venture and, and private equity route in terms of how they raise money over time. Um, and I think my own experience having worked in that environment as well was sort of a, a realization that there's a little bit of a bifurcation of options for founders. You And both options are good, by the way. You know, you can raise capital. Typically, you're raising a series of rounds. You're going to institutional investors. You're getting a lot of expertise from them, a lot of help along the way. But for, for when, it, when it really comes down to it, your day-to-day is, is something that you're running. You're building the infrastructure company on your own um, with a great support network of folks who've, who are experienced and who've seen it happen. You have another alternative, which you can, you know, at some point choose to sell your company to a larger strategic. You get a ton of support, a ton of infrastructure, really an opportunity to supercharged growth, but a lot of trade-offs in terms of your own autonomy and your own ability to kind of like really inflect and drive all the decision-making, which is natural because the company has bought you and that you're in a different phase. And what we identified is that it feels like there should be a different alternative, which allows you some of the benefits of, you know, tapping into shared infrastructure, you know, day-to-day support on the operational side, um, really an ability to take your mind off of fundraising and spending all your time there, uh, while at the same time allowing you to retain some of the economic upside that would, would, would occur if you were raising capital, and also some of that like sort of ability to really drive and drive the next phase of your, of your business, sort of retain control over the key decisions. And that's what we've tried to create with Harry's. I think what's 
what's been really exciting and different about it is that we are coming at it as a young company that is founder-led. And we have this perception of having been there, having been in the shoes and thinking about how do we create an alternative in the market that is different? And that feels exciting. And I could see others wanting to do that too. Got it. And so do you have sort of either a roadmap or a rubric in terms of like for the year to come? Like, I want to work with this many companies. I want to invest in this many companies. I want a lot. Like, sort of how are you looking at at what your goals are for the coming year? Well, we try to be less focused on like, this is the number of opportunities we need to, to execute on because we want to retain this really strong focus on identifying big unmet consumer needs and either building or buying brands that address those. And you don't exactly know when you're going ident- to, where you're going to find those. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't try to think about like, oh, we got to do two things this year. I do think taking a step back, we've put a stake in the ground that in the long term, we're trying to build a portfolio and we aspire in the next four years or so to have six, eight, maybe plus or minus a couple of brands within our portfolio. So that's the long-term orientation. And then, you know, I think less about, you know, 2021 versus 2022 in terms of how we get there. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, I think you mentioned at the outset, one of the things that has been really important in 2021 has been a bit of a, you know, a, a, I wouldn't call it a shift, but sort of a, an opening of our aperture. We were very focused on incubation until this point. Um, and then in late 2020 into early 2021, we've really opened ourselves up and we are you know, really focused right now on, on M&A and on sort of showing how we can drive inorganic growth into our business. And so is the reason why the M&A focuses now is just because sort of the specifically DTC CPG brand market has sort of like exploded over the last year for, you know, a variety of reasons, most of them a global pandemic and because consumer habits have shifted. Is that sort of what you're seeing and it's sort of like now's the time to sort of go after these companies? I actually think you know, there's been so much activity in DTC for so many years now. Um, and so, of course, they've, it's accelerated and, you know, consumer sh- sh- spending shifts of the past, you know, what it's now like, whatever we're at, month 14, 15. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> Who even like knows? That, what is time? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But obviously, we've seen a ton of shift in spend and, and dollars moving into online. And so that's only accelerated that shift. Um, but I think for us, it's a combination. Of course, we, like I said, we would be silly to be blind to what's happening in the market. You know, you always have to be attuned to what's happening externally and think about your strategy in that context. So, of course, you know, that has been part of kind of the realization that now is a good moment for us to focus on this. But I think probably more important than that, if I'm, if I'm being honest, has been the fact that through incubation, we've actually been able to take our company from being a single brand company into a multi-brand company and determine how do, you know, I talked a lot about kind of the resources that we think we can bring to bear and the capabilities that we have that are truly differentiated. Brand and design, omni-channel go-to-market, which means scaling on DTC and scaling successfully. It means launching into retail and doing that successfully and disruptively in a way that's true to your brand, people and building the team. I think those are things that, you know, a couple years ago we were doing for one brand. Today we already do them for multiple brands and we kind of had our, our growing pains doing that with our own brands. And now we're sort of ready, I think, to, to, to know how to bring those resources to bear externally. So that's been a big reason why we sort of opened our aperture up. Well, Tamina, this has been such a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. I appreciate it. I had a lot of fun and appreciate you having me. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week.